0: If you care about racial justice, if you care about economic disparity, if you care about you know gender oppression, if you know if you care about queer antagonism, if you care about issues about the carceral system, if you care about immigration, if you care about reproductive rights, if you care, like all of those are areas where anti-fatness shows up, you know, and adds an additional layer of oppression for people.
1: You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, anti-fat bias, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soldsmith. I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with Tigris Osborne. Tigris is a fat rights advocate and chair of the board of NAFA, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. She is the founder of Full Figure Entertainment and a co-founder of PHX Fat Force. Tigris is a two-time women's college graduate with degrees in Black Studies and creative writing. She is an intersectional feminist teacher and writer whose professional background as a youth empowerment leader and DEI educator has informed her fat liberation activism since 2008. It is a huge thrill to have Tigris on the podcast. She is amazing. Oh, on just every level you can think of, but specifically because Tigris and NAFA are working on legislation that will protect fat rights. And this is something that we have been sorely lacking for decades. This really is just a whole piece of the civil rights conversation where we have not gotten nearly enough traction. They are doing groundbreaking work. And I really want us as the Burnt Toast community to think about how we can be getting involved and how we can be directly supporting this. So Tigris has a lot of ideas and strategies and suggestions for us. There's going to be more coming out about this in the coming weeks. So please stay tuned. Here is Tigris. But first, a quick break. So I am super thrilled to share that Burnt Toast recently hit number three on Apple Podcasts' list of top kids and family podcasts. Of course, we all know this is not just a parenting podcast, but it is awesome to know so many new people are finding the show. If you value the conversations you hear here, we would love if you do one of the following things or all of these things to help us keep growing. Number one, subscribe or follow us in your podcast app. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Number two, leave us a rating or a review. We talked about trolls on the podcast last week, and yes, they are in the review section, especially on Apple Podcasts. We would love your help hanging on to our five-star rating. If you are a troll or you just don't like the podcast, you can skip this step. Number three, consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 per month or $50 for the year. You keep this an added sponsor-free space and make it possible for us to pay our guests for their time and labor... And you'll get a ton of cool perks. Just go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com or click the link in your episode description to join us.
0: So I am the chair of NAFA, which is the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. And I have been the chair since the beginning of 2021 and on the board for several years before that. But I actually started my life as a sort of uh, public figure of fat visibility and fat activism as a nightclub promoter in Oakland, where I created an event called Full Figure Fridays. Amazing. So, yes, I've been doing some form of fat activism since about 2008.
1: So as I was getting prepped for our conversation, I read the profile on you that ran in the Smith College magazine. My sister went to Smith and a friend of mine. So I had like multiple people sending me that like, look, looks look, start yourself on the cover. It was look very exciting. Look at this fat lady on the <laughs> front of the magazine. They knew I would be overjoyed. And I was. There was one quote I really loved in the piece where you said, my aunts were the Lizzo's of my neighborhood, but they still talked about how they should be on Slim Fast." Tell us a little bit about how you grew up understanding fatness and how that changed for you.
0: So I'm from a mixed-race family, and I had fat aunts on both sides of my family. And my Black aunts were confident and were, like, sexy and wore, you know, tight dresses and got dressed up to do fancy things and go out. And my fat aunt on the other side of the family and the other people on the other side of my family who were fat or thought of themselves as fat didn't have that same boldness. Mm. And I really received that as a racial difference. Interesting. But part of the reason I think we ended up with that quote in the magazine was because I was probably talking to the reporter about people's perceptions that, like, Black women have it easy when it comes to body image because of that. Mm -hmm. I definitely saw a racial difference in my family, but I also still saw my aunts thinking that they were supposed to lose weight. And I still saw other people talking about their bodies. As a smaller kid, I was a slim. And then puberty came around, and my biology kicked in, and I was a teenager who was curvy. I probably wasn't even officially plus-sized until I was a late teenager. But I remember having a difficult time finding clothes for my graduation because we had been advised to wear white under our white gowns and finding something white in plus-size in the limited stores that were available. I was a teenager before Torrid. None of this, just go to yeah. Torrid. There was a store here called Stewart's Plus, and it was sort of like the trendiest, of you know, 90s fashion, like bright prints and bright colors and stuff like that. And right. it was the closest thing I could get to like a teenager look because Lane Bryant back then, especially, was really matronly. Everybody else is going to close time to buy their guest jeans or whatever, so I remember that aspect of and I was one of those teenagers who had subscriptions to all of the teen girl magazines Mm -hmm. those magazines were for me what you know Instagram and TikTok are for teenagers today like where you see the body standards that you are supposed to aspire to where you're told like how to be beautiful how you're supposed to be as a girl or as a young lady or whatever but they weren't like Instagram and TikTok in that they didn't have also a vein of alternatives to that right right in Seventeen Magazine, the person who was supposed to be, like, the person who looks like me as a young Black girl is Whitney Houston. I don't look like Whitney Houston. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a realistic standard for exactly what to exactly. aspire to.
0: So I grew up with all the messages from the culture. I'm, like, an early MTV kid. I was really into music videos. I watched music videos any chance I had to watch them, and you didn't see curvy people let alone you know actually fat people in music videos unless you know there were a handful of men right. i was thinking the other day about how much i loved the rapper heavy d when i was a mm-hmm. teenager i was telling somebody the other day like one of the only places where i will allow the term overweight is because of his songs about being the overweight lover the overweight oh, lover in the house sure sure but so i had like a burgeoning identity as a fat girl like not just in a sort of this is a way I'm an outsider or this is a way I don't fit in kind of way. But in it like I remember trying to write something for one of my teen magazines that I was gonna send to them, like about how important it was for me to see the fat boys. Like to mm-hmm. see that you could be cool even though you were fat.
1: You know, why can't we see fat girls too? Like Yeah.
0: Never occurred to me like where are the fat girls? Just right, like these right. are the only the only fat people were Oprah and her whole little red wagon thing, that was when I was in eighth or ninth grade.
1: And so she's fat, but she's actively determinedly pursuing not fatness so mm-hmm. yeah and i remember as
0: a late teenager i discovered bbw magazine big beautiful woman mm-hmm. magazine and i can remember my aunt being like oh these not really fat fat ladies who aren't really fat because they're fancy right because they had <laughs> fancy access... fat ladies yeah, I like that. well because they had access to a completely different kind of clothes mm-hmm. because You know, they're fashion models, right? So as limited as that was, a magazine has access to different clothes than we had access to in small-town Arizona. Sure, sure.
1: And they can shoot you in a dress that doesn't zip up in the back. And it looks like it fits from the front. You know what I mean? Like, there's this whole smoke and mirrors piece of it that they can manipulate.
0: Yeah, All of that. But it was just, it was really meaningful to me to start to see. Like, I can remember the expansion of print magazines in my early 20s, because there was BBW, and then there was one called Grace. Then there was a black, fat-positive magazine. I think it was called Bell. Yeah, and, yeah, um, I remember Grace and I, I remember, like, Yeah, I remember, like, seeing that when I moved to California and I was in an area where there were more black folks, then there were more black magazines available to me where I grew up. It was essence and jet only. Mm-hmm. And, you know, essence might have someone a little larger in it from time to time back then, but it wasn't like there was regular plus size representation when I was a teenager in those magazines. And of course, jet magazine had the jet beauty of the month. And that was like a woman in a swimsuit I remember them as being curvier than some of the women I saw in other magazines, but they were not arguably fat, right?
1: Do you think, like, when you talked about your aunts, like, on the Slim Fast, like, still struggling Mm -hmm. in that way, even though they were also representing to you a kind of, like, joy and fatness that you weren't Mm -hmm. seeing from your white relatives, do you think that, like, the way Black magazines were portraying Black bodies at the time was a factor in that, or where do you think that came from?
0: I think there's... Sometimes are actually cultural differences around what body types are accepted. I think a lot of it was male gaze kind of stuff like I think there were more you know men still find me attractive or there was a kind of creativity and community mindedness around finding clothes or making mm. clothes that was different so there wasn't and my community was a community of black folks who love to show out so when you love to show out you're going to find or make some clothes you're not going to just settle for whatever the clothes are that are available to you if that's limited and so there was partly that I think there was you know personality difference there was cultural difference mm-hmm. it wasn't all racial, but I definitely received it as a kid as racial. As an adult, I can see more nuance, right? And I can see all the ways that even if there is some community protection around body image, there's still body shaming and you're still ingesting the messages of the regular culture. I was trying to explain to, you know, a Gen Z colleague upon the passing of Sir Jerry Springer. I was trying to explain to a Gen Z colleague, like what it was really like to be coming of age in the era of daytime talk shows. Oof, yes. And how much of that was very specifically body shaming. like they yes. would have these episodes all the time that were like too fat for that, right? Yes. and the too yes. fat for that episode was the one where your BFF comes on with you to try to get the world to help them save you from yourself because you are wearing biker shorts and cutoff tops and just because they make it in your size or you can stretch it to your size doesn't mean you should wear it in your size, girlfriend. Oh. and I think my aunts were somewhere sort of like along that spectrum of like, Well, maybe I will wear these, you know, biker shorts. Or maybe I would be the friend who's on TV telling her, you know, girl, you shouldn't be wearing that. I think the magazines were reflective of the culture, but also reflective of respectability politics. And so respectability politics allow for a certain kind of fat. (laughs) They allow for the church ladies to be fat or whatever, but there's still all this stuff about you know, appetite and control and what's ladylike and stuff like that. So I think it's just a mixed bag across the culture and shows up in some really racialized ways and gets Mm experienced in some really racialized ways. But it's also sort of like whatever you're getting in your home culture, you still have to participate in the mainstream culture almost, you know, like almost always, right? Because unless you go to an HBCU, you go to a predominantly white college. Unless you start or work for a Black-owned company, you are working for and with white folks. Even where there are some protective elements around, you know, kind of community standards or different beauty ideals or things like that, you still have to operate in the whole rest of the world. And Weight Watchers is still just dominating daytime television commercials. And then here's Oprah with her little red wagon (laughs) and the People magazine, you know, every time you go to the grocery store with the, I lost 100 pounds and I'm half myself. And, you know, all of that stuff is still there. And it was still there for me, even though I had these aunts who were just really glamorous and amazing to me. The folks that stand out to me the most, you know, from my younger childhood as glamorous were fat women. Mm-hmm. And including one of my mom's friends who was not a Black woman and who had this cloud of Miss Piggy hair. She just reminded me of Miss Piggy. <laughs> and she was an Avon lady, so she always had the makeup. Yeah. And my Aunt Linda is still doing it. You know, she'd yeah. be with her fur and her wigs and her all things, you know, <laughs> outshining everybody when she shows up amazing. at the barbecue. And I don't know how much of that is just personality. I don't know how much of it is despite being fat or how much of it is because of being fat. Mm -hmm. Like, I better make sure I'm the best dressed and the best makeup and the best hair and the best everything else because I don't have the body everybody thinks I'm supposed to have. Yeah,
1: there's a little bit of, like, the good fatty element, maybe. I think so. I need to perform this in a certain way. But also, it sounds like it gives them a lot of joy, you know? And it gave me a lot of joy.
0: But I was still very clear, especially as a teenager, that... If you have a choice, you <laughs> shouldn't be that, you right, know? Right. And if you have enough willpower, you do have a choice.
1: Mm, of course. That's how bodies work. <laughs>
0: and I was in that sort of infomercial era of like my early teen years. My early years at Smith were the sort of like Richard Simmons, deal era and the Susan Powder Stop the Insanity era. Do you remember her? Yes. For your listeners who don't remember Susan Powder, I'm just going to say, you know, Everybody remembers Richard Simmons, probably. I
1: think I think that's safe, or if not, like children, Google your history. Yeah, um,
0: that's right. That's right. <laughs> learn here. Learn who learn, Richard Simmons is. This is very history. important <laughs>
1: to cultural understanding of
0: bodies. I'm not even exaggerating. Like Richard Simmons is very important to cultural understanding of bodies. But also, you know, Susan Powder pitched herself as a feminist and was, you know, loud and unapologetic and had long nails and and makeup and red lipstick and this like platinum buzz cut haircut she wouldn't be exercising in stilettos but she was all posed in stilettos Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. she was that sort of like it's okay to be sexy feminist and there were many things I loved about her message but she was always on these infomercials screaming about how dieting is insanity stop the insanity here buy all of my diet books (laughs) my exercise (laughs) videos because they are the only ones that are not insanity right
1: (sighs) It's like just starting to head in the right direction and then it was doubling back, doubling well, back. The, yeah,
0: it's so funny because looking back at some of that like 80s and 90s, like super diety or super like intended to be anti fat stuff, I think there's a sort of rebellious read on it. Richard Simmons videos were the places of highest fat visibility for me outside of my own family and neighborhood, That's
1: and I
0: could see like. Fat people dressed in bright, colorful, fun clothes, dancing, yeah. like sweating to the oldies oh, is a dance party. It my totally favorite is. part of those videos when I was in my you know late teens, early twenties, there's a the part at the end where it's almost like a soul train line, and everybody yes. dances yes. down the soul train line, and then they put up the numbers of how much they lost weight. If you remove those numbers, right? That's it, some of the best fat joy expiration, like as a visual. And I think you could reclaim that stuff by buying to all these for 50 cents on a dvd at your local thrift store mm-hmm. and you're not supporting diet culture but you can have like a subversive read
1: there definitely needs to be like a deep dive into cuz richard simmons was certainly making some deliberate choices in casting his videos in that way right mm-hmm. like not just showing all the thin aerobics models, but yeah, but then of course, pairing it with the weight loss message.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's really an example of how everything came at me at that era of mm-hmm. my life. I think I'm watching this at the end for the weight loss inspo or whatever, but really, what I end up remembering about it 20 years later is just like how much fun those people looked like they were having yeah. and how they were getting in shape regardless of whether they had those numbers to put up right. or not. I mean, they, they wouldn't have been in that video if they didn't have those numbers to put up. So that's where it it takes the turn, right?
1: Right. But they were in their bodies. They were, like, joyful in their bodies.
0: In the midst of all this... I did learn about NAFA when I was in my first year at Smith because we had that sort of early 90s style campus diversity day. It Mm -hmm. was called Otelia Cromwell Day and it was named after the first Black Smith grad. But in the spread of workshops, there was stuff about race, there was stuff about gender, and there was a workshop by Carrie Hemingway who worked in the career development office at Smith that was called something like Large Bodied Women. And she was an active member of the Boston chapter of NAFA. Back in those days, NAFA had chapters in major cities. Mm -hmm. Now we're just more virtually based. But Carrie was really active in the Boston chapter and did this workshop you know, at this women's college in the early 90s. This would have been the fall of 1992. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so long before, like, hashtag body positivity or anything like, like that. And that is where I learned about NAFA. And I didn't get involved directly in NAFA until years later. But just the idea that there is an organization that exists. Yeah. That was the first time I'd heard the idea of, like, just using fat as, you know, a positive way. There was no like what we were talking about earlier about my aunts and stuff, you still called those ladies full-figured or right. big-boned or you right. know, whatever. You didn't call them fat, even if you were somebody who loved fat women, you still didn't say that, right. at least in the circles that were around me. So that idea, that was where I was introduced to the idea that you could just use fat as a descriptor mm-hmm. or even as a positive identifier. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot that. Like, just the existence of NAFA, knowing NAFA was out there in the world... Doing something different than what Richard Simmons and Susan Powder were doing when it came to fat people was so empowering to me. And I remember one of my friends going home for fall break and, like, trying to explain to her mom that she wasn't going to diet anymore because it was just, it was okay to be fat, you know? I don't remember her mom's reaction even, but I just remember, like, us planning that conversation on the the bus on the way home because it was going to be this, like, you know, groundbreaking new approach,
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, it still feels too groundbreaking, right? It always
0: feels like one step forward, two steps back. Or, like, sometimes it feels like one giant leap for humankind and then, like, a bouncy house of bouncing back from that leap.
1: I like that. The bouncy house image is (laughs) is very much how I feel
0: at the moment. Oh, I bet. I can't even (laughs) imagine what is coming at you. People are so mad at fat people for daring to... Be.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, how dare you be? <laughs> yeah. And you're inconveniencing me by being. And it's like the level of vitriol directed at people for thinking, you know, that they have the nerve to mm-hmm. stay fat and not be constantly trying to apologize to the world and demonstrate that apology through actively dying. And I mean, actively dieting, well, actively dying, that might not have been a That might not have been a slip. That is actually, you know, often also true in terms of what diet culture expects of us. Correct. You know, like there's a perception that we're dying because we're fat and there's just not enough discussion about how the things we're doing trying to not be fat are actually the things that are killing us. Mm -hmm. But that vitriol, uh, people get really mad. I I wandered into the comments, you know, NAFA is supporting legislation, fat rights legislation all over the country. And I wandered into the comments on one of the New York Times articles about this. And the article itself was already sort of like, "Mm, this is framed too much as a like, Should they exist or not? And can legislation help allow fat people to exist, right? I mean, it was overall, there were lots of great points in the article. And I'm, you know, grateful that the New York Times is even talking about this issue. But also, like, please don't start the fat rights article with, like, you know, an anecdote about the founder of Weight Watchers. Like, I don't know. Just don't. But then, you know, but the article itself is like, for a mainstream news outlet, this is, you know, this is, at least it's highlighting some fat points, right? And then I wandered into the comment section. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, here we are in the dumpster. Here we are in the, we're not even... In the dump- We're like in the mud underneath the dumpster. Yes. right? The, like, like oozy material the- that seeps out. That's right. When the dumpster's been so bad that it rusted out the bottom <laughs> and everything is underneath there as sludge, yes. that's where we are. That's right? where we are. Right? We can't sludge. even see the lights from the top of the dumpster. And sometimes the worst is the people who think they're most helpful. I got one letter from this woman who was mad about the magazine cover. Because, you know, for people who haven't seen the magazine cover, it's like me
1: in a tie- Dress with all my back rolls out. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. They put you. it in the show notes. I love
0: yeah. it so much. Shout out to my photographer, Dante Earl Tubbs, from Contrast Photos in Arizona. It is a gorgeous photo, and I have no shame in having my fat vanity and saying that it is a gorgeous yeah. photo. And also, she pulled this quote that I, I never could have imagined would be on the cover of a magazine about like how the world should be prepared for fat people to be audacious because we're not going to stay in the shadows in the corner. Anymore. It was amazing. And so like, you know, some people I'm sure just both in positive and negative ways just reacted to the cover without reading any of the rest Absolutely. of the magazine. Oh yes, like,
1: most of the sludge under the dumpster has not read. That's right. They, they read <laughs> the headline. They're not reading. They're like, yes, correct. What Fat people and audacity. Like, How dare like, they? Like, Yes. Let me have my fin-dacity
0: and contact them to tell them how they're going to die. So this lady writes to me, well, actually, she had clearly written this to the editor of the magazine, but just, you know, wanted to make sure Nafa didn't miss it. So sent a copy directly to us. And it was just like, you know, I'm a retired ophthalmologist and Tigris and Lizzo would not fit in my exam chair. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, lady... I'm wearing glasses in some of the pictures of this, so clearly I've been to an ophthalmologist. Right. But like also, I mean, not moving really point, but have also kind exam of exam
1: chairs. Like that sounds like a you problem.
0: I'm like, how do you have talk about audacity? You yeah. have the audacity to write to a civil rights organization and say, I am fully admitting that my office was inaccessible to people, yeah. and that's their fault, and they're gonna die. Right? Because she did the whole, like, you know, and if they ever had to have eye surgery, their eyes would explode. And if they were, you know, in fact, if they had to have any surgery, they'd be more likely of dying. And then she closed on, like, I don't think fat people should be discriminated against, but I pity them. Well, first of all, you clearly do think we should be discriminated against because you never did anything about that exam chair in your office that you, you know, had a whole career and retired from. But also, you know, you reached out to a stranger to tell them that you think they're going to die, and then you patted yourself on the back mm-hmm. for being smarter than them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess that's not legal discrimination. We can't legislate against you. We can legislate against that problematic chair. Yeah, you for know? sure. But we, we can't legislate against you, you know, just having this attitude, but you don't get to tell yourself that you're not discriminatory. You, like, you don't right. get to say, I'm not a bigot, but I just pity these fat people and had to tell you that I pity yeah. you. You're not being the bigger person here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the bigger person literally and figuratively, <laughs> Because you failed at being the bigger person if that's what you thought you were doing right here.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: You know, because that's just to put you in your place letter. That is yeah. not a concern for your health no, letter. Definitely that is definitely not. That was not like, here's a list of optometrists near you that might have a chair that can accommodate you because I care no, about your eyesight. No, right? they don't. It, yeah. It's none of that. It's just holier-than-thou expression of dismay that you have the nerve to live.
1: So let's talk about the legislation piece of things, because this is really exciting work you all are doing. So tell us about the Campaign for Size Freedom.
0: So the Campaign for Size Freedom was founded by NAPA and Flair. And Flair is the FAT Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project, which is a project of the law office of Brandy Solovey and was started by Sandra Solovey, who's one of the icons, just like Mm -hmm. the voice of common sense and good legal sense around anti-fat discrimination for many, many years. And so the Flair Project does all this really incredible work, and we work with them all the time. We started the Campaign for Size Freedom with them to support passing more legislation that is related to protections around body size. And the project is supported also by Dove. So it's really exciting in that way, in that it is really the largest corporate social responsibility investment in fat liberation ever. There's no record of anything like what Dove is showing up to do there and you know and i know that there are a lot of folks in fat community who like they hear dove and they kind of like mm, body positivity they stole it
1: i did want to ask about this i mean yeah they were definitely one of the first brands to embrace body diversity but there's a fair critique that they often co-opt the rhetoric so tell us more
0: I was literally in one of the protest campaigns about Dove in you know in the mid two thousands. It was called Beyond Beauty. So Dove launched their Real Beauty yes. thing, and then there was like this Beyond Beauty photo shoot with all of these visibly fat black and brown people and disabled people and visibly disabled people and just like variety of ages and and identities and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like you know this is either a supplement to or in protest of the way that Dove is showing these images, right. Right. even as they're they're trying as much as you can expect capitalism to try right we want to always give credit to the folks who are genuinely trying and also hold accountable the folks who are trying and missing it right yeah but i do think that dove has come a long way and you know there's still always going to be a segment i think of fat liberation community who are just anti-capitalist and just you know don't work with organizations like dove ever
1: yeah valid there's yeah the green piece of the movement we need that voice as well
0: that's right. We need lots of different kinds of voices and lots of different kinds of approaches in the movement. And for us, we really, really vetted Dove. And what we really liked some of the work that Dove is doing. A lot of work. Around supporting the Crown Act. Mm, yes. So when they showed up with us, uh, so we want to support you around legislation. They didn't show up as a like, we want to develop a stretch mark soap. And so we need some fat consultation. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't a thing like that. It was like, you know, we are really looking at our corporate responsibility practices. And this is a thing we're seeing in the research, because they do so much research around girls and self-esteem, and I think with an increasing awareness around, you know, expansive ideas about gender, but they're still pretty centered in this girls and women kind of language and space, but they're working on it, we're going to keep working on that. But they do so much research around girls and self-esteem, and they were just seeing more and more in their research about how much body oppression and size discrimination affects girls and their self-esteem. And so they were like, what's the thing we can do about this? And they have several campaigns that they've run that are, you know, looking at how kids see their bodies and, you know, highlighting how teenagers are affected by beauty standards and body standards. And so the legislative piece is really important because their research was showing, like, People are reporting all of this discrimination. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And mm when we talk not just to the kids but also to the moms about like how they live in their bodies, we're seeing all of these things about discrimination in our research, and we wanna, you know, we wanna be part of the solution to that. So I'm excited about the support from Dove, and they've been very good about like we're but we're gonna let the fat people drive this.
1: I'm here for this, yes.
0: So NAFA and Flair really are you know out in the front of the project and Right now, there is pending legislation in New York City. is is super exciting because it's about to pass. Yeah. Which will make New York, you know, one of the most populous places on Earth that has protections against height and weight discrimination. Amazing. And really amazing. And, like, it's on track to, like, by the middle of this summer, we will have a law in New York.
1: Oh, I just got chills. I just
0: got chills. But what a lot of people don't know is that... Just how rare that is. Because we have this sense as Americans that, like, if somebody does something wrong to you, you can sue them. And you can. You can sue people whether there's explicit law protecting you Mm -hmm. or not. But your chances of being able to win when there's not an actual law about the thing that you are trying to sue over become, you know, increasingly more difficult, right? Especially around an issue where there's such cultural pervasiveness around you know, about people's own attitudes. So, like, you know, like, so Sandra wisely says in her book, like, we could be already treating fat people fairly under the law with other laws that exist just around general fairness. Mm -hmm. But we don't apply those laws. The lawyers don't know how to apply those laws. The judges don't know how to apply those laws. You know, whatever. And so having the explicit protections helps.
1: And I just want to quickly say, Sandra's book is Tipping the Scales of Justice. I will link that in the transcript just for folks to know it is an incredible resource for learning more about all of this
0: it's an incredible resource and it's also an incredible artifact of like how slow this change has been Mm -hmm. because sandra wrote that book in the i think it's published in the late 90s and it's real accurate still (laughs) really really accurate still
1: oh yeah i did a piece for slate in 2021 about Mm -hmm. how body size comes up in custody, you know, states taking custody of children. I read about this in the book, too, Mm -hmm. and referred back to all the research she did on that in the book about, you know, BMI being a criteria. And these were cases that were coming out in the early 2000s. And it is still happening that BMI can be a reason to lose your children.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of people don't know that unless it happens to them or unless it becomes so sensational of a story like, you know, the British case a couple of years ago with the kids and Weight Watchers. And, you know, sometimes it hits the headlines. And when it hits the headlines, it's really devastating, not just for those families, but also for all kinds of other families who begin to be, you know, really, really afraid. But yeah, that work is so important. And, you know, Sandra's work over the course of fat liberation, like, her whole career is so important. But also, it is a shame for us as a culture that her book is still so contemporary. Right. right? Yeah. But that is part of what the Campaign for Size Freedom is trying to change, right? We're trying to raise the conversation more, amplify the issue so that people understand this is not really serious civil rights issue. The list of where anti-fatness shows up in our social justice concerns is really short, right? Like, when do people put it on the list as a social justice concern? That happens very rarely. But the list of places that we care about social justice and anti-fatness shows up within that is a very, very long list because it's Mm -hmm. basically every area where we care about social justice. If you care about racial justice, if you care about economic disparity, if you care about, you know, gender oppression, if you, know, if you care about queer antagonism, if you care about issues about the carceral system, if you care about immigration, if you care about reproductive rights, if you're like, all of those are areas where anti-fatness shows up, you know, and adds an additional layer of oppression for people an additional set of hurdles for people, you know, in everything from, like, can you get fertility treatment to, like, you know, can you get a desk that fits you at the school you're trying to attend?
1: Can you get an um, exam chair that fits you at the ophthalmologist? I mean... can, can you get an exam chair
0: <laughs> at the ophthalmologist, right? And can you get people to care about that and see it yeah. as an issue that they should change things instead of an issue that you should change your body? But the tide is turning, right? The public opinion polls show that people are in favor of, like, protective legislation. And... People are starting to recognize things as discrimination. I was at the International Weight Stigma Conference last year, and one of the researchers there was presenting about some research they were doing about asking people to self-assess whether they'd been discriminated against or not. And what they found was when you just ask fat people, have you ever experienced discrimination because you're fat? many of them will say no. But Mm. then when you start breaking down the questions, have Mm. you ever experienced this in your workplace? Have you ever experienced that in the doctor's office? Have you ever experienced this in your educational setting? Those same people who said no actually check a bunch of things that they are experiencing discrimination. They just haven't thought of it that way.
1: I mean, it's kind of reminding me of the way the Me Too conversation helped us understand what sexual harassment and sexual assault really is, because Mm -hmm. for so long we only had kind of like the, you know movie version of these concepts and realizing like oh wait actually your boss making this kind of comment that's right yeah like the nuances of it because we've been fed one narrative of what is okay
0: i don't want to overemphasize that parallel but something else i see in that parallel is the sort of like blame the person it's happening to dynamic you know if your boss said something funky to you you shouldn't have worn that shirt to work Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it's the same like if your boss said something funky to you about your weight you just shouldn't have been fat and then that wouldn't have happened to you Yeah. and cultural attitudes around that are changing now there's that under the dumpster sludge (laughs) of clash there's a loud voice especially on the internet of how you know you're gross and you're gonna die but also there's so many more fat people and people of all sizes saying that's just not true, number mm-hmm. one, and number two, even if that's what you think, what does that have to do with fat people having civil rights? The older I get, the less invested I am about whether I care what people think about what I look like in this body. Yeah, you know it's still there for me, and I always want people to like it is still there for me because that's how pervasive it is. I've been doing you know fat liberation work in some way or another for 15 years, and the voices are still there for me. Mm -hmm. So if you're new to this, of course you're still gonna struggle with it, Mm -hmm. right? It's still tough because we do still live in that slim-fast culture. I know you know Marilyn Wong because I've heard you talk about her on the pod. And you know, what I loved about Marilyn's book when it came out was like, again, just the existence of this reminds me of something. It is fat exclamation point, so question mark. And that so is really important. And it's really important in the work that we do at NAFA now. Because when people say, like, you know, well, you know, you're just a hater because you can't lose weight. No, I'm not. And even if that were true, you know, even if I'm just a lazy fat person who is mad at all the thin people because they're thin and I'm not. And I can't wear, you know, Kim Kardashian's clothes or whatever the hell. Even if all of that is true, my employer should still have to pay me fairly. Right, right. My doctor should still have medical equipment that allows me to get yeah. information I need about my health. All of these pieces that fall under the sort of legal discrimination umbrella are all things that should not happen to fat people, regardless of what you think about our health or mm-hmm. our
1: attractiveness. Or how much it's our fault or whatever. Like that whole willpower conversation is completely beside this point.
0: Yeah. Completely beside the point. And there are some audiences where like, I just will refuse to talk about health. Right. Yeah. I'm here. I lead a civil rights group. We can talk about health in so much as there are health disparities that are represented by anti-fatness and weight bias within the healthcare system. We can talk about that. You know, you want to talk about that? But if you just want to talk about, like, do I have high blood pressure? Not your business, Not my employer's business, not my landlord's business. That's like my doctor's business and my business and my mama's business. And sometimes not even hers. That's what the Campaign for Size Freedom is doing, is lifting this conversation so that more people are aware that there are so few places in the world that have made it explicitly illegal to discriminate based on body size. And in the United States, that list is really short. It is, you know, Michigan as a civil rights law. It is... Washington state as part of disability law. And it is, you know, a handful of municipalities across the country as either appearance-based discrimination law or civil rights law. And it is soon to be New York City. It is also hopefully soon to be New Jersey, New York at the state level, Massachusetts and Vermont, all of whom have pending legislation. And in the wake of New York City, And there's at least one other state coming, but we haven't publicly talked about it yet. But, you know, there's a non-coastal state coming, y'all. We're not only doing this on the East Coast. We like some middle-of-the-country states, yeah. That's right. These East Coast places are places where it arose organically. In Massachusetts, this work has been being done for years. And, I mean, like, you know... 10, 12 years ago, people like Sandra and people from NAFA and people from back then there was an organization called the Society for Short Stature Americans, who was also working with partnering with NAFA. That organization doesn't exist today, but we are partnering with little people of America. You know, people have been doing this work in Massachusetts for years. They've been making attempts at the state level in New York for years, but it's brand new in New Jersey and Vermont. But it all rose organically there by either, you know, legislative leaders who looked. around around the world and said, like, kind of what's missing from our civil rights laws? Mm -hmm. You know, what can I take on here? Or, you know, people listening to their constituents who brought issues to their offices. Now, we are looking at the whole country and sort of thinking about where do we want to push next? Well, you know, the live in the dream is a federal civil rights law. But we don't think that in the current federal political culture that we can do that. And especially without having done it in several states.
1: Yeah, you need to incubate it in a few states.
0: That's right. I mean, we see that with the Crown Act. Mm -hmm. We saw that with marriage equality. We've seen this with other civil rights issues.
1: So let's talk about what the Burnt Toast community can do. I mean, just so you kind of know our backstory, we are big supporters of state legislation being the kind of seat of power and where things happen. Last year, Burnt Toast worked with the States Project, and we raised a ton of money for state government elections to, you know, turn some states blue and hold actually Arizona was our focus state. Hey, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it was rough out there, but we Mm -hmm. did raise a bunch of money. And had some key victories. So, you know, this is something that the burnt toast community feels really passionate about. Obviously, this legislation is something we feel hugely passionate about. So tell us where you need us.
0: You can follow NAFA and follow the campaign for size freedom. The hashtag we're using is just hashtag size freedom. And -hmm. you can like and comment and reshare and all the things that help boost the signal, right? Mm -hmm. If you have money to give, you can give to NAFA. We are a 501c3 charity. And even though we have this investment and support coming from Dove, we are still an under-resourced and understaffed organization, as is all of FAT Liberation. If this is an issue you care about, and is not the right organization for you—we're too moderate, we're too conservative, we're too focused on legislation and you care about other things—there are other FAT organizations— that you can give to, you know, ASDA, the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, they are the health at every size people, and they are also Mm -hmm. now the examining health at every size to see if that's even the right framework anymore, people. So super radical work happening at ASDA, Black-led, queer-led, radical work and in the healthcare space. And No Lose is also a Mm 501c3, so if you care about that, if you care about the, you know, tax receipt or whatever, No Lose is a queer-centered, fat liberation organization. But also you can give money to the folks who ain't going to have a tax receipt for you but are doing mutual aid in the community or doing Mm. really important activism in the community. So, like, look around your own local communities and see where you can put some dollars into FAT Things if you have dollars to give, right? Yeah. And whether you have monetary contributions you can make or not, for us, you can sign the petition on our website. It's nafa.org, N A A F A dot O R G slash size freedom. Mm -hmm. And if you sign the petition there, the reason we're asking for your address is so that we can zip code sort you if we start doing work in your area. Nice. So that we can get in touch with you directly if we're working where you live, Mm -hmm. or if somebody else is starting to do work where you live, we can help you know about that you can get on our main mailing list to just get other updates about other work we're an advocacy organization we're not a lobbying organization Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of other work we're still trying to do we run a pretty robust program of virtual events so that folks you know can get to us online and get to each other online for everything from education to joy august is fat liberation month so we'll have even more programming during fat liberation month and also just like you know If you're still working on using the word fat, Keep working on it. It is good for you. It is good for folks around you. And it's a sort of bat signal to other fat people of whether you have some politics around this, right? Because, you know, I live in Arizona. There's all kinds of fat people here. There's not all kinds of fat community here Mm -hmm. because there's not the amount of folks who have a fat liberation Mm -hmm. framework is not the same as the number of, like, literally fat people who exist here, right? And so finding each other in your local community can be hard. And it is one of the best things, as much as the internet can be toxic, it is one of the best things about the internet, finding your own. And if you're local folks to me, hit me up in my DMs. We can plan some fatty rabble rousing in the Phoenix area. But give your time, give your energy, give your money, you know, give your platform. Those are the things that people can do. And when you can't physically give your energy... You know, send the vibes, good vibes. We take all the good (laughs) fat vibes.
1: Well, this platform is always available to you. So please let us know when there's, you know, a specific thing on the docket and you're like, I need a lot of people to sign this petition. I need a lot of people to call representatives. Like, we are here for it.
0: And we also want to make sure that we call them and email them and do the, you know, send the carrier pigeons or whatever you, Mm -hmm. however you get in touch with your representatives after they vote for these things, yes. right? Like, cause oh, we, wa- we want to keep those kinds of people in office. We want to yes. keep them knowing that this is a community issue. We want to expand the bills that are, you know, expand the regulations in places where they're not protective enough or, like, the next time the fight comes back around. So, like, the New York City law is incredible. It will be life-changing to people. Mm-hmm. And it is limited to housing, employment, and public right. accommodation. Right. So there are still other spaces that it's not taking on. And when we do the next round cover those spaces. We want the people who supported us on this round to know that we paid attention to that. And we want the people who didn't support us on this round to know that we paid attention to that. So please write, you know, don't just write the pressure letters, write the follow-up thank yous. Those are really important. Nice.
1: That's so smart. Okay, we are going to do it. All right, Tigris, so we wrap up every episode of Burnt Toast with our butter segment. This is where Mm -hmm. we give a recommendation. So, Tigris, what is your butter today?
0: My butter today is I'm really loving watching Midnight Diner on Netflix it's not new it's a Japanese it's it's not a sitcom but it's like a half an hour Japanese serial it's a little bit soap opera ish Mm -hmm. you know but I'm just really really loving that as my like bedtime story every night and I'm also like I'm relatively new to podcast world as you know as like an active podcast listener so I really am loving wonder mine which is a podcast about joy and community and those are two of my favorite things lately
1: that is wonderful well mine this week is that somebody somewhere is back for season two (gasps) yes you watched Bridget Everett is A treasure, just a treasure. I watched
0: the first season, and I didn't know it was coming back. Right now, I'm just kind of head down, catching up on some work things, and so I'm only watching Midnight Diner at night and then (laughs) listening to my like all of my fat podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But my Netflix list is like, yes, the second season of that. I can't wait. Have you started it already?
1: I just watched the first episode, um... And it was just delightful. I mean, her chemistry with her best friend, I'm terrible at remembering character names, but everyone knows what I'm talking know, about. But
0: I love that character. I, I love don't remember them the name so either.
1: much together. I would watch them hang out and just talk about nothing. And mm-hmm. I would be so delighted.
0: Yeah, I might have to get into that this weekend. Can I say one more butter? Yeah,
1: we love a lot of butter.
0: The second Saturday in May is Black Fae Day. Ooh. And so Black folks who are into magical creatures of the whole magical creature realm do Ooh. like cosplays and meetups and stuff like that. So I'm also working on getting together my Black Fae Day <gasps> costume. Cool, I haven't found us. an Arizona meetup yet, but I'm going to do a f- you know, photo shoot with the same photographer who did my Smith cover, actually. Yeah. And I'm super excited about that. So y'all can follow me on Instagram. You'll see my Black Fae Day costumes. But also you can just... Follow that hashtag and like support Black creators who are doing this like really incredible cosplay. And I think for some of them, this is not even cosplay. They just like Faye is their aesthetic and that is their right. life. They, is look, their... they just look like fairies every day. But wow. um, I'm really really excited about that.
1: I'm so glad I didn't know about that, and I'm really excited to show like look on Instagram for the hashtag with my five year old because she is a fan of oh yeah you know, she's fairy things. See so
0: many incredible. So things. I feel
1: like that'll be really fun to explore together. So thank you. Thank you. This was absolutely amazing. I really love talking to you. Please come back anytime. And yeah, just tell folks where we can, you've mentioned it, but just so we have it at the end. Tell folks where we can follow you and support your work. You can learn more about NAFA at
0: nafa.org. You can follow us on most of your favorite social media sites. We're most active on Instagram and Facebook at Nafa Official. And you can follow me on Instagram at Eye of the Tigress, and that's letter I of the Tigress, like my name, like a female tiger.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tigress. It was really a pleasure having you here.
0: It was so great to be here. I cannot wait to, I got my copy of the book. I can't wait to dig in. Ah, thank you. And I'm really excited to interact with the Burnt Toast family. What do you all call your fans? Toasties or something?
1: (laughs) Corinne came up with Burnt Toasties recently, and I sort of love that. Mm -hmm. Also, one of my favorite little bits of troll you know, troll commentary was the guy who called me High Priestess of the Indulgence Gospel. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of running with High Priestess these days. I think Mm -hmm. we are all part of the Indulgence Gospel. Um, I (laughs)
0: love that. I love love that. You definitely Um, meant
1: it as a burn and I took it as the honor of my life.
0: One of my favorites lately was somebody who inboxed me to tell me that I'm so fat, I look like Kung Fu Panda. And I was like, I will see your Kung Fu Panda and raise you one. And I posted this picture of me with the giant Poe statue. Um, (laughs) Please look for that on my Instagram. I love that picture. And also, fuck that guy. But yeah, it's reclaiming the troll trash and turning it into treasures is way more fun than the whole like don't feed the trolls thing like yes don't feed them but also yeah yeah (laughs) take everything they say and make it a hashtag that you love
1: i know need a high priestess costume yeah
0: yes Um, t-shirts whatever all of it Mm -hmm. super
1: free so Mm
0: -hmm. love it amazing well i hope to interact more with the followers of the court of indulgence. What did you say it was?
1: (laughs) Indulgence gospel. Yes.
0: Yes. The followers of the indulgence gospel and all the burnt toasties out there, you know, please do find me and say hello.
1: Awesome. Thank you again. This was great. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and leave us a rating and review and tell a friend about this episode, especially someone who might want to get involved in this fat rights work. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or 50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks, and you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soul Smith. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at V underscore Sol Smith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Diana Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting anti-diet body liberation journalism.